I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body and what you'll wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even in Solomon's court was there more splendor than those who are dressed like these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, as we consider these words of Jesus today, we pray that you will empower our minds to a better understanding of what this means for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today we're uh, continuing our fall uh, series, or teaching series, on the subject or theme of fear. Um, As you realize that we, it has been said, live in an age of fear, and so for these last few weeks and a couple weeks to come, we are uh, looking at what the Bible has to say about fear. And if you want to get caught up with this series, just remind you that you can go to adventhope.org, where you can catch up with the video or audio uh, of each of the previous sermons in this series and many more that go back from before this, including last week's great message by our own Annette Espana. And so as we think about uh, fear, it might be appropriate that we check in with Chapman University's uh, annual survey, the Survey of American Fears. For the last five years, Chapman University in California has been surveying the country, and this year they surveyed over 1,100 random people across the United States asking them about their level of fear uh, in regards to several different areas, crime, government, environment, disasters, personal anxieties, technology, and many others. Actually, there are 94 categories that they ask about. And so for the fourth year in a row, the top fear of Americans is corrupt government officials. And reading from the report, as in the previous four years, the fear that our government is corrupt far exceeds all others we uh, are asked about. Nearly three-quarters of Americans said that they are afraid or very afraid of corrupt government officials in 2018. By comparison, the next highest level of fear was more than 10 points lower at 61.6%, and that was for pollution of oceans, rivers, and seas. Government corruption aside, our top 10 list suggests that Americans are preoccupied by fears of three different types. Americans fear for the environment, they fear bad things happening to loved ones, and worry about their finances. High levels of fear of loved ones becoming ill and high medical bills also indicate that health care remains a primary concern of Americans. It goes on to talk about uh, the fear of the last two years. A striking difference between 2016 and 2017 and 2018 has to do with the environment. 
Since Trump's election, Americans are increasingly fearful of pollution, global warming, and other environmental disasters. Not a single environmental concern made the top 10 list in 2016. In 2017, four of the top 10 fears were related to the environment. It goes on to say, the extent to which Americans are afraid in general also appears to be on the rise. In 2016, the highest level of fear reported by our respondents was for corrupt government officials at 60%. From there, fear dropped precipitously with the number two uh, uh, issue being terrorist attacks and only 41% of people being afraid of that. That was in 2017. By 2017, the top fear had gone all the way up to 74.5%. And by 2018, all the top 10 fears were held by more than half of, the Amer of Americans. Put in another way, by year, the top 10 fears have ranged from 35% to 60% in 2016, 9% to 74%, and 28, in 2018, 9% to 73.6%. And their conclusion is Americans are becoming more afraid. And so, in light of this, Jesus approaches us here in Matthew chapter 6 with a simple command. Don't worry about your life. Now, worry is related to fear in that uh, worry is a, a mental exercise and also is often uh, associated with the physiological response of anxiety. And it's usually in relation to something that is to happen in the future. You know, we might be afraid of a lion that approaches us and we're terrified that our life isn't in danger. And so that's the immediate fear. But worry is fear about the future, fear about what could happen, fear what's going to happen tomorrow or down the road. And that leads to the physiological response of anxiety. And what we are finding is that, at least here in America, people are more afraid and worrying about more things and to a high lever, uh, level than any time over the last five years. And so indeed, we are in an age of fear. And yet Jesus tells, tells us, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more important than these things? And the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Here Jesus is addressing the most uh, basic of needs. You're probably f familiar from high school or psychology, maybe in college, of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I think we have a visual of, of that. Um, and on, so on Maslow's hierarchy, it starts with these basic needs, the needs that Jesus is addressing, clothing, uh, food, a place to uh, live. And so Jesus is addressing these things. You, you're worried about these things. These are the basic things, but I will provide for them. God will provide. And then he asks this great question, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Have you ever added an hour to your life by worrying? Uh, it's interesting that for the most part, worrying does not really help us uh, have you ever been helped by worrying? The likelihood is no. In fact, what usually happens is worry creates stress, and we know that stress, uh, the wrong kind of stress in particular, can be very harmful for us and actually decrease our life. And so the reality is that worrying probably decreases our life, not adds a single hour to our life. 
Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Uh, then Jesus uh, continues with this, uh, this message, and yet we have to kind of reconcile with the fact that you know, it would be easy for us to think, uh, you know, Jesus is talking to a group of people 2,000 years ago, and there is no way that the things that they have to worry about then compare to what we have to worry about in our technologically advanced society today. But if we really think about that, uh, think about their circumstances. No uh, germ theory. And so if someone got sick, it was likely that that would spread through a community. And so disease was far more common. They, I mean, we were concerned about corrupt government officials. They were subjects of a foreign oppressor, a foreign uh, government known for its brutal war tactics. And so death from war or political uprising, I mean, the zealots, Jesus had a zealot, and these were, were, were a group of people who were activists and, and violently against the ruling party. Uh, they, were, they were, Jesus had one as part of his disciples. They were about violence. And so the idea of death from war or political uprising was a reality. And then, of course, they lived in a agrarian society, which may, meant that they, they needed the crops that were grown each year. And so if the climate was not good, you didn't have food to eat. If things went, went, went bad with the, the weather for a year, you didn't get enough rain, you didn't have food. And so while we might be tempted to think, oh, their, their worries cannot compare to the stress and worry that we have today, the reality is that Jesus' command to not worry was just as challenging for them as it is for us today. And the truth is that worry has been a part of the human experience since the very beginning, since the fall. And so Jesus here imploring us to not worry has, is a challenge not just for us today, but for humanity at large. Now, I think that Jesus' uh, initial assertion probably falls a little bit flat for most of us. He starts by, and by the way, this is in the midst of Jesus' most famous sermon, and this part, he starts by saying, don't worry, as if it was that easy. Just don't worry. And so they're probably thinking about, like you are, all the things that you have to worry about today. And I would imagine that if we combined all the worries in this room together, it would be pretty intense, all the worries that we have here. And like them, he's speaking to this large group of people, and they had a, a lot of worries. And for him to come out and say, don't worry, sounds really, really great. But in practice, that is really really challenging. It was like, oh, thank you, Jesus, for telling us not to worry. Really, 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 really helpful. Don't worry. Well, I'm all good now. Thank you for, for uh, informing us of that. Uh, telling ourselves, don't worry, may feel good for a moment, but, you know, our minds are having someone, me getting up and telling you, don't worry. Now go in peace. God has got everything in control. Sounds really great, but you're going to walk out that door and a half an hour later, all of your fears and worries are going to come back and, and even if you try to pump yourself up by encouraging yourself, a worry is a challenge. And so just telling ourselves not to worry really doesn't fulfill our ultimate needs. And so what's going on with us internally that makes us worry? Well, I would, uh, I would suggest to you that there is a bunch of stuff, and we could have our psychologists come up and, and, and go into this in far more and better detail, but there are three things that uh, jump out to me from the text and from what else Jesus teaches that help us to understand a little bit about what is going on internally in us that contributes to this general sense of worry 
that we have. First of all, we all have a desire for self-preservation and for the preservation of loved ones uh, around us. We want ourselves to be safe and have what we need, and we want those who we love to also have what they need. And so when we don't have enough, and Jesus is speaking to this, when we don't have enough of the things that we think that we need, uh, food, uh, shelter, uh, uh, relationships and community, that makes us a worry. And so beyond those basic things, there are also harmful things that are in the world, scary things that are in the world. There were scary things in the first century. There are scary things today. And when we are confronted by those things, uh, our desire to preserve ourselves and the people that we love is challenged, and so we worry. And so we are worried because we have an innate sense of self-preservation and we want to take care and preserve those that we love, that we hold dear to us. Uh, secondly, we worry because we know that there are challenges that we face, either currently or will face, that we cannot overcome on our own. And we don't like being out of control. I'll speak for myself. I don't like being out of control. I don't know about you. I don't like being out of, of control. And so when I come up against something that I cannot overcome on my own, that makes me worried. You all know what I'm talking about? And so when we, uh, when we face things that we can't overcome on our own, that is challenging to us. We feel helpful, helpless. Uh, now, most of us have been Spartan, smart enough to know that we can't overcome some things on our own, and that doesn't matter how successful you are or how smart you are or how lucky you are, there are going to be some challenges you just can't overcome on your own. And I'm reminded of those inspirational uh, posters that you see in office spaces, you know, when you work, especially when you work in a really bummer office space, what do they do? They put up inspirational posters. Be courageous. <laughs> Be inspired. Meanwhile, the office is just the most drab, horrible place to work in, but the posters, those are transformational. Just read the poster. My, my, my office seat doesn't work. Just look at the poster. Be courageous. Be courageous. So I, there's one, and it's got like, there's like a chasm, and, um, and there's like a, a woman and she is jumping over the chasm. Have you seen this one? It's an amazing jump because it's, she's like doing the splits in the air. You know, it's just, the, it's just like her, her, her shadow. And she's jumping. And it says, be courageous. And she's jumping over the, the And the implication is, you know, sometimes you're going to face challenges. And rather than being afraid of them, and there's the chasm that's, you know, four or six feet wide, you need to just, you need to just jump over the chasm like this woman who is perfectly aligned as she's jumping over the chasm. The problem is, what happens when you come to a chasm that you cannot jump over? Look at that chasm. I love, I love the little person there. That's not, you know, if you put this, be courageous on this, on the, that, that's called be stupid. Jump, jumping off. We face chasms that we cannot overcome on our own. Yes, there are times when we just need to be a little more courageous and we can jump over the little speed bump or the little hole that we're not going to fall in. But what happens when we come to a chasm that we cannot overcome? And we know that there are challenges that we cannot overcome on our own. And so this makes us worried. If you stand at a chasm like this and you've got to get to the other side, you're going to be worried because you cannot do this on your own. And that makes us worried. 
Finally, we worry because we are cynical, and probably for good reason, about outside things being able to really help us. You know, we've all been burned by things outside of ourselves that we thought were going to take care of us. I mean, it's, it's no wonder that the, the, the Americans are most afraid of corrupt government officials because sometimes we put our hopes and dreams in a political figure and then they end up not being able for whatever reason, whether it's their own corruption or just the, 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 the incapacity of contemporary government to get done what needs to get done. We don't get what we need from them. And so we're cynical about putting our belief in something outside of ourselves, and so we then rely back on ourselves, and yet we come back to this circle where we, there are chasms we can't come, overcome on our own. Most of us have been let down by someone or something outside of ourselves, and this makes us cynical about things that aren't ourselves. And yet some of us have become cynical about ourselves, and so it's just this brutal a cycle of worry. We're worried because we want to preserve ourselves and those that, people that we love. But we know that there are challenges that we cannot overcome on our own, so that makes us worried. And then we're very cynical about things outside of ourselves that we think or thought at one time might be able to help us, but it didn't, it didn't come through. And so with these entirely uh, rational reasons for worry, the question for us today is what hope do we have? I mean, this sounds terrible. Where do we go? There doesn't seem to be any, any hope. We want to take care of ourselves and those we love, but there are chasms that we're going to come up against that we can't overcome on our own, and yet we're cynical about things outside of ourselves because we've been broken and battered and, and taken advantage of too many times. What hope do we have? You know, Jesus himself uh, lived without worry. This, this one who comes in Matthew chapter 6 in the midst of this sermon and tells us, don't worry. He knew what he was uh, talking about because he himself uh, lived without worry. In Matthew chapter 4, we're told that just after his uh, baptism, which for those of you who have been baptized know can be one of the most challenging times in your spiritual experience. You know, you get baptized and you feel all great and then not too long where all the old challenges come back. And so Jesus, right after he was baptized, we're told he was sent into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 40 says, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. That seems to me like an understatement. What's the longest you've ever fasted before? Anyone fasted for a day? Have you done the day fast? All right, how about two days? Raise your hand if you fasted for a day. Oh, now Alex has not raised his hand. May the record show. How about, yeah. Alex eats fast, which is a different thing. Um, all right, one day fast. How about two days fast? How about five days fasting? Oh, seven? Ten? Wow, Christine, impressive. All right, anybody, any longer than 10 days? 40 days fasting, right? So this is hungry. So Jesus, what seems like an understatement, he was hungry. And so at this time, 
as happens, the tempter comes when you're most weak. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, so this is a challenge directly to who he is, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So he knows he has that capability. You and I, the idea of turning stone to bread has never been a real temptation for me because I've never really thought that that was possible for, for me. But, you know, for Jesus, that, that, that may have been a, a reality. And so the tempter comes, tell these stones to become a bread. And Jesus answered, it is written. It goes back to his Bible. Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Apparently, Jesus is not afraid of having food. He's not worried about having food. He could have provided for himself, and he didn't. In Matthew chapter 8 and verse 20, a a man came to Jesus and was like, I want to be your follower. I'm into you. I'm into what you're doing. I want to be your follower. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens, and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man, this is how he refers to himself, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus apparently didn't worry about having a home, a place to lay his head. He knew that his life was a transient life. And so he didn't have a, a, a nest or a den. He was on the move, and he wasn't worried about not having a home. Jesus didn't worry about pleasing people, in particular powerful people. Now, how many of you are worried about pleasing people? I would guess that right here, because I'm not worried about pleasing anyone, but you go to work on Monday morning and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yes, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Worst boss in the world, but oh, you're going you're to please them. Matthew 21, verse 12 says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling. Now, keeping in mind that the most powerful people in the country had established this system of buying and selling in the temple courts. I mean, this was, this was the way that they did finance. They made money. And so the religious leaders in particular who were powerful, they established this whole system. And Jesus comes in and he enters and he drove them all out. In fact, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. And he said again, it is written, my house we call a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. See, Jesus was not afraid. He was not worried about pleasing people. Jesus didn't even worry about his own death. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 17, we read that Jesus was going up to Jerusalem knowing that the end was coming for him. And on the way, he took the twelve aside and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and I, the Son of Man, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus did not even worry about his own death. Wasn't worried about where his next meal was going to come from. Didn't worry about not having a home. Didn't worry about pleasing people. Maybe one of the greatest challenges for us didn't even worry about his own death. The good news for us is that because Jesus was able to live a life without worry, he invites us who are incapable of living without worry on our own. He invites us into a relationship with him 
that he promises can also be free of worry. Not because we're able to do it on our own, or we're able to figure it out for ourselves, and we're able to get ourselves together, but because of our connection with him, because he was able to do what we cannot do, we have access to power from him that we do not innately have from ourselves. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus gives one of the great promises of all the Bible. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. This is a message for people who work, by the way. It's a message for everyone, but it's a particular message for people who are working hard and they're used to carrying and picking up and lugging difficult and heavy things. And while many of us might not be actually physically lifting and carrying heavy things, I would imagine that you've got a lot of burdens, got a lot of things on your shoulder. And Jesus is saying, if that's where you are now, if you've got burdens on your shoulders, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You might be doing some research. You've recognized worry is in your own experience. So you've been trying to talk about your own worry to yourself. You've been trying to be courageous. You've been reading all the, the right self-help books. I love a good self-help book. I love self-help books. Don't Nick? Huh? We read them together as a staff sometimes. They're so insightful about the human psyche. And so I read them and I feel really good. I'm going to get it together now. And over and over and over again, when I do that on my own, failure after failure after failure after failure. And so come to me, Jesus says. All you who are weary of trying to get it together on your own, who are trying to overcome your worries on your own, come to me. My burden is easy. My burden is light. In Jesus, we have hope for a new kind of life. I mean, this is the great promise of following Jesus. It's a new kind of life, a life that you will never have on your own. A life where your your burdens are easy because he's done for us what we cannot do for ourselves keeping in mind that Jesus has overcome the greatest of all worries. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, I'll read, read from the Apostle Paul talking about the work of Jesus. Since the children of humanity, you and I, have flesh and blood, God too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. The truth is that whether we think about it often or not, we all have an innate fear of death, as well we should, because death is part of the enemy's work. Death is not a a good thing. Death is part of the the fall, and so we're afraid of that. But Paul tells us that Jesus did something when he died. That he overcame this great enemy. 
We have hope that we will not always be a slave to the fear of death. I, I downloaded this week, I read an article, it was a really great article in Christian Century. Um, a guy had downloaded this app. We don't usually advertise apps, but I'm going to advertise an app. It's called, you ready for this? We Croak. We Croak. And the app, it, it, it sends you a notification five times a day that says, Something along the lines is, at some point, you are going to die. And this is it's based on some, uh, a Buddhist principle, I, I, I believe, that, that five times a day, everyone should be thoughtful about their own death. And so I, I was intrigued uh, that this, this guy had downloaded this app, and the idea is just to be thoughtful on our own uh, mortality. And I got to say, it's pretty intriguing. In fact, it popped up on my watch as I was getting ready for you. I didn't know if it was going to happen here, now, God forbid. But it popped up on my, and, and then when you click it, there's some thoughtful quote about uh, death. Thoughtful about our mortality. And the reality is that it makes sense. We all are, are flesh and, and blooded. At some point, at some point, provided the Lord Jesus does not come before that happens for us, we are going to die. And it's uncomfortable to think about that. And for those of us who do think about it, it is like slavery because you cannot get out of it on your own. But the good and great news is that Jesus has gotten out of it. He became flesh and blood, and because he did that and, and overcame death, the promises as we embrace him, God is able to transform our look on life, to transform our worries for our own self-preservation and the preservation of our love, to give us, or the ones we love, to give us a new perspective on that, but also the great hope that someday everything is going to be made new and there is going to be no more death or crying or mourning or sickness or pain. Peter writes, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love New York. And New York has been called the capital of many things. But I would dare say it is also the capital of anxiety. You come to New York, I mean, many of you are from New York, but many of us, many of you have come to New York because you, you want to, you make it, you know, if you're, if you're in certain fields, if you're in fine, you've got to come to New York because New York is where you make it. Your career might be made or broken in New York. I'm not trying to make you more, more anxiety, with more anxiety, but this is the reality. You got, you came here because you want to, you may make it, and you've, you've heard Frank Sinatra and you, you believe that this is the place that's going to happen for you. But the problem is, along with that desire to make it, comes a lot of pressure and a lot of anxiety. And I know that many of you today have a ton of anxiety. I can see it on your, your faces. We come together here and we act like we have it all together, but there is worry. There is concern about your future. Some of you, your bank accounts aren't what they need to be to make it to next month, and your apartment is too small, and there's only so many people that can share one apartment. You know what I'm talking about? And you're not sure you can even afford that. And some of you, maybe that's, maybe that's not your issue, but you've got something else that you're worried about. And so New York is the capital of anxiety. 
And yet Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I mean, is there better news in all the world that the great God of the universe, the creator God, cares for you? This is good news. How do we take advantage of this, this promise that God wants to take our burdens, that God wants to help us to live lives without worry, as hard as that is to even comprehend? How how do we take advantage of this? Well, Jesus ends this part of his sermon with these words. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You seek God first. What that means simply is embracing God's work on your behalf. It doesn't mean going out and doing something on your own and working really hard and that's seeking it. No, it's turning. This is about repentance. This is recognizing that you are not capable of doing what you need to do to get rid of your own worry. The chasm is too great. So each and every day, we start our day by seeking first the kingdom. God, I am not able to overcome my worries on my own. And as you open yourselves to that, God is able to come in and do for you what you will never do on your own. And in that, he's able to provide peace and love and joy and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and everything else will be okay. Jesus' invitation to us to cast all our anxiety on him because he loves us. Amen.